have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 15. <clears throat> Mark chapter 15. It's very interesting that uh, in the Apostles' Creed, this over almost 2,000-year-old confession of faith that mentions the Trinity and Mary, the mother of Jesus, of course, when it, of course, when it could have mentioned Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed, or Peter, the one who uh, denied, or even Caiaphas, the high priest at that time that delivered him up. Instead, it mentions by name this third-rate Roman politician named Pontius Pilate. He's enshrined in one of the most important creeds of the historical Christian church. Why is that? Well, of course, he was the presiding officer in Jesus' final condemnation and his execution. But not only was he the governor of the Roman province that included Jerusalem, it was Pilate that issued a judgment that was far more significant in historical terms than just his personal opinion. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but he had him crucified anyway. Jesus knew that we were the guilty ones. He knew when he went that it was us that deserved to be punished by God for our sin, of course, not somebody else. And yet he went to the cross willingly. We come to the climax of Mark's gospel this morning in chapter 15. The king is going to be crucified at the very moment of his death, as prophesied. He will be declared to be exactly who he has claimed to be. The Son of God Himself. Who Jesus is is not simply a matter of our religious leanings or our religious affiliation. It's not simply a matter of our spiritual fitness. Who Jesus is is a matter of what the truth is. And the truth is that we need a Savior to die in our place whose life was perfect. We are guilty and we are too guilty to do anything about it. On our own. The one who was guiltless was delivered up by the guilty to be crucified for the guilty. Let me pray and we'll begin this passage together. Father, we are here this morning because you've brought us here. You wanted us here according to your will, every person. And so, God, we ask that now by your spirit, you would open every heart to hear the truth of your word Concerning your son, Jesus Christ, Father, there's nothing that any of us need more than to hear Christ. And so to that end, Father, please help me preach. Please fill me with your spirit for this task. I have nothing to give for it, Father. Only you can do the work that needs to be done here. So I pray that you would use me for that purpose. And I pray, Father, that everyone, everyone would be able to understand and that everyone would believe in Christ, the Son of God. We ask and pray this in His name. Amen. Let me read the first five verses here of chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led Him away and delivered Him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked Him, Are you the King of the Jews? And He answered Him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused Him of many things. And Pilate again asked Him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. If you remember from chapter 14 when the Jewish religious leaders had Jesus arrested, they held this kangaroo court very early in the morning while it was still dark, really. 
so that most of the city wouldn't realize what was happening, that the witnesses they had incited against Jesus couldn't keep their story straight. They contradicted. It was a mess. When the high priest finally asked Jesus directly, are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one prophesied and sent from God? And Jesus said, I am in 1461 and 62. The council condemned him of blasphemy in verse 64, even though by the letter of the law he had not committed blasphemy at all. The fact that they overlooked his identity as the Messiah, notwithstanding, in their minds, he deserved death. The trial before Pilate now takes place early in the morning, which again, if you remember, that's the final time reference listed in the series of the parable of the doorkeeper back in chapter 13. The telling of this parable has built expectation in the minds of his disciples, of his followers for the coming of the Son of Man in his kingdom. Now that that final Time is here. That final time events mentioned. The expectation, expectation of his coming is now heightened for those that were listening. But what's going to happen now at early morning, the final time reference is the abomination of desolation to the Son of Man when he is crucified. So Joseph of Arimathea, for example, when we come to the end of chapter 15, will still be looking for the kingdom. It hasn't come yet. It, they haven't seen it yet. In the morning, the Sanhedrin meet. To discuss their next steps here at the opening of chapter 15, Israel was under uh, the control of Rome, which meant Jewish authorities had no authority whatsoever to execute anybody. They had to get the Roman authorities to see then that Jesus needed to be put to death. He needed to be done away with. So they take him to Pilate to convince him that Jesus deserved to die. They've got to get rid of him. They probably met here to figure out what civil charges now they might be able to put on Jesus that would stick, that would make Pilate believe He was guilty enough to deserve death, something against Rome, not just blasphemy in Israel. He wouldn't care about that. And so when the truth, remember this, we see this down to this day. We're seeing it right now in every facet of our society from the media. When the truth is not the priority, you have to control the narrative so that people will believe what you want them to believe. That's precisely what they're doing here we've got to control this story control the narrative so that what we wants to have what we want to happen is what will happen to jesus the truth is irrelevant the truth is in fact a threat to the narrative they bind jesus even though again at this point it's clear that that's unnecessary jesus was not a robber he was not a zealot of some kind when they came to arrest him that night he said why have you come out here with clubs and all these things like i'm a criminal you know i've never done anything like that he goes willingly He's given himself up, but they want to humiliate him. They want him to look like a criminal, so they present him in a certain way. They take him to Pilate at a certain time. Early in the morning is when Pilate would have wasted his time, so to speak, hearing such cases, the cases of common criminals, people not worth Rome's time. Get it out of the way. Uh, When the Romans conquered territories, they appointed their own governors over them, of course. Pontius Pilate was the fifth governor that Judea had had he held his office for 11 years ad 26 to 37 which by the way was the longest any governor served in that post that's not because he was a success it's precisely because he was a failure the governorship of judea was one of the lowest offices a roman administrator could hold the fact that he held it so long was a sign of his failure as a leader that office was all anybody in the top brass of rome thought Pilate was good for so that's why he held it for so long. He was actually fired and banished from government later in AD 37 by the Emperor Caligula. The historians Philo and 
Josephus, they tell us that Pilate was, quote, inflexible, stubborn, and cruel. <clears throat> he brutally put down uh, several rebellions and protests during his tenure in Judea, some that he had himself provoked so that he could punish. He would often deliberately provoke the Jewish people. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, which is really a good movie, he's portrayed very sympathetically. I like the pilot in that movie a lot more than the one in the Bible, but the one in the Bible is the true one, and he was not a good man. He was not a sympathetic man at all. He built a 23-mile aqueduct that brought water into Jerusalem, which is a great thing. He did it by confiscating money from the temple offerings in Jerusalem. He was just a horrible leader. He was not a good man. And now that's the man that's put in the most precarious position in human history. He is the one that is going to make the call whether Jesus of Nazareth is guilty or innocent. Is he the son of God himself or is he just a pretend king? That falls to Pontius Pilate in the providence of God. Notice in verse 1 that the Jews indeed delivered him over to Pilate, just as Jesus said he would be back in 1033. In the Old Testament, it prophesied this handing over centuries before. It foretold that the Savior would be judged and killed outside the camp of the city. In ancient Israel, the sins of the people would be transferred on the Day of Atonement onto the scapegoat, which was then driven outside the camp <clears throat> into the wilderness into what Leviticus 16 calls a remote area or in the outer darkness, it reads in some translations. And now the Messiah was to die at the hands of the Gentiles, betrayed by Israel outside the city of God on a remote hill or a remote area on a hill called Calvary, symbolically being cut off from the presence and from the people of God. In Psalm 22:16, the anointed one laments that dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. This was all fulfilled when Jesus was delivered over to Pilate. There are three basic phases in Mark 15. In the first 15 verses, Jesus is tried by Pilate, the Roman governor. That's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, then the text narrates the crucifixion of Jesus in verses 16 to 32, which is sandwiched in between these two scenes of Mockery. Then finally, in verses 33 and 39, we read about the actual death of Jesus on the cross and the dramatic events of that moment. And so we move from the legal decision against him through the mockery to his death by crucifixion. This is how the world views Jesus. Every face. That's what we're seeing. Mark narrates these things, if you'll notice, without any theological explanation whatsoever. There's, there's no interpretation of the events in Mark's gospel. It's just the events told to us. But the details he does give, that should let us know, are even more crucial for our proper understanding of the death of Jesus. The details of the, of the cross tell us something about God. They tell us something about ourselves. The first scene this morning shows the world officially rejecting the Messiah. This is the world's verdict on Jesus. Always has been, always will be, until Jesus ends it. And He will. This is how the masses relate to Jesus. In this we see the main way the world tries to get around the claims of Jesus. When they're faced with them face to face as Jesus is face to face with Pilate. When He was delivered to Him, this great discussion occurs. The, all four Gospels address this discussion. They just address different 
aspects of it. I'd like to look at all four. We're not going to turn to them. We'll just go through them so that we get the whole discussion here. R.C. Sproul uh, laid this out, talks about this. There were four aspects to this discussion. First, they talked about whether Jesus was a king. Secondly, they discussed the nature of truth. Thirdly, they discussed whether Jesus was guilty or innocent. And then lastly, there's this discussion about amnesty or what should happen to Jesus. The first discussion in verses 2 through 5 here is about the kingship of Jesus. Listen one more time. Pilate asked him in verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. He's not even defending himself. In Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 2, he tells us that this was the accusation the Jewish authorities were making about Jesus when they brought him to Pilate. They said he was perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which we know is an outright lie. Right? He commanded just the opposite, saying that he himself is a king. Of course, that's who they should be paying taxes to is their argument. They wanted to paint Jesus as a revolutionary. He was a threat to Rome. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? The translation here in verse 2, you have said so, doesn't really carry the full weight of it. It, It's not as if Jesus said, well, you say I'm a king, but I'm not saying that. No, no, no. Jesus was saying, you said it, right, very clearly. He's clearly claiming to be a king. But what kind of king is clear or more clear from his full answer, which we have in John 1836, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. That's interesting. Every Christian should listen to that. We aren't fighting to establish a kingdom for Jesus. Jesus told Pilate that he was a king, but not that kind of king. He's not the kind of king that threatened Rome's political power through things like insurrection. No, no, no. Jesus is the king. Rome is, in that sense, piddly to him. The king of all kings. This kingdom transcends all these earthly kingdoms. They, they don't even compare. They're not even in the same class. They've borrowed the word kingdom. Every emperor, every king and prince and governor and president and prime minister will one day stand before him, the one on trial here. But he didn't say all that. Mark tells us he didn't say much at all. Mark's point here is to show the attitude of Jesus, the attitude of the suffering servant in the face of the world's opposition when he is clearly innocent, clearly has done nothing wrong, is so righteous and holy here, he doesn't even need to defend himself. It would be beneath him here. And how could he get any lower? Pilate had never seen such a demeanor in a prisoner. He's amazed by it. Do we see the contrast? When you look at verse 1, and the religious leaders and all their noise and their frantic activity to make sure what they want is what happens, compared to Jesus and his quiet speaking in verses 2 through 5. That's the difference between the truth and lies. Back in John's Gospel, after Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world, Pilate asked, so are you a king then? Jesus told him he was correct, that he was a king. But then Jesus introduced another aspect of this conversation in John 18, 37. For this cause I was born, 
And for this cause I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus gets to the core of this entire proceeding here. He expands on what he said to Pilate. Do you want to know what I'm about? Do you really want to know? Do you want to know what kind of king I am and what my purpose, my mission is in this world? It's not to overthrow Rome. I don't need to do that. I'll tell you why I'm here. I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Beloved, you and I have been sent to bear witness to the truth. We do not need the government's support. We don't need its money. We don't need its approval. We are here to bear witness to the truth unless and until they silence us by killing us. That's what we're seeing here. We are sent to bear witness to the truth. And the truth is the truth, no matter what society says. And this isn't just about topics, right? We love to grandstand the topics, the issues. You know, I'm going to speak the truth on this issue and this issue and this issue. And that's fine. It doesn't. Of course, those things are the truth, the, the, the Bible's views, the words, views, Jesus's views on all these hot button issues of the world. Of course, his view is the truth. But the truth to which Jesus is referring here is primarily the gospel of him, of Jesus Christ. This is what we proclaim. Right. We don't need to overthrow Rome. We don't need to overthrow sinful governments. We don't need to do this. We are called to bear witness to the truth, whether our government supports us or not. Here, Christians are patriots. In China, they're not. In North Korea, they're not. Right? And they're still bearing witness to the truth. That's who we are. Christians, servants of Jesus. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What a statement. Who responds to Jesus in faith? Those who are of the truth. Well, that's not something they decided, is it? This is how Jesus explained his mission when he was on trial for his life. Right? I'm, I'm bearing witness to the truth. That's why I'm here. This is all lies, he says. Beloved, we need to hear Jesus' witness to the truth more than anything in our lives right now. Right? We, we could ask with Pilate nowadays, what is truth? Who is telling us the truth? We live in this global pandemic now, so it's called. Right? Do you know how much the information has changed? Right? And, and, I mean, what, listen, I'm not speaking like in conspiracies here. I'm asking, what is the truth? Who do you believe? Right? You start to get behind who's talking to you and you're like, oh, that's why they support that. That's why they see it this way. And it's just, it's like, what is the truth? You have the makers of vaccines sponsoring news channels. Now, I don't know what that means, but I know I don't think that's good. Right? And no, I'm not, I'm not talking about Anti or pro-vax, gang, that's not my point here. I'm saying that's where we are. Or you have to ask, like, well, that's a little weird, you know. And in the church, listen, in the church, this has infiltrated the church so deeply. There's such a negative attitude towards doctrine, towards theology nowadays. 
Right? Why? Well, because doctrine divides. Well, of course it divides. Of course the truth is at odds with lies. And that's all there are, beloved. There's truth and there's lies. And truth has been laid claim to by the person, in the person of Jesus. It doesn't reside anywhere else. If anything is true, it's His truth. No matter what the sphere is, everything else is built on lies and deceit and narratives, right? And in the church, we're just so against this. So, you know, don't get too, you know, uh, I guess devoted to any one thing because, and it's, it's just, we're so inundated in our culture with lies and false narratives. And no matter how false things are proven to be now, nobody is willing to change their mind. Why? Because nobody wants to know the truth. We're not of the truth. Truth is not what we're interested in. We're not interested in objectively true reality. We're interested in subjective, self-serving reality. So that's why we believe the things we do and reject the things we don't. It's based on what we want. That's what Pilate is asking. Well, what is truth? Meaning you have yours, I have mine. Who can define truth? Beloved, if nobody can define it, it doesn't exist. Right? If, if, it, if, if truth is just... Pilate's asking him that as though Jesus' truth is just one way to see it and... Others can see it differently. What point is it to say that you bear witness to the truth? Truth is, is he, is he being jaded there? Which that's in John's gospel, that, that part of this conversation. Or maybe once in his life, I guess Pilate's amazed with Jesus. There's something different, different about him. Maybe in his mind, he's like, maybe this guy knows the truth. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, what, what other person in human history has laid claim to the truth in this way? Maybe Jesus did have the truth, but Pilate's blindness is what made him ask the question in the first place. The very incarnation of truth is standing in front of him, and he didn't recognize him. We need Jesus to open our eyes to know the truth, or we will never see it. What each and every single one of us ought to be praying right now as we listen to his word is, Jesus, show me the truth. Show me the truth. If... if if, if a person can just live his or her truth, that's the, the mantra nowadays, live your truth, be true to yourself. My goodness, like just the inconsistency, the, the deadliness of that. I, I ask all the time if I hear somebody say that, live your truth, you do you, right? What if you're a serial killer? Do you, is that person allowed to live their truth? What if they're a Nazi or a skinhead? Are they allowed to live their truth? No. No. So, so it, it's dishonest. Live your truth so long as it doesn't bother me. That's what happens when there is an objective truth. Anything goes. Anything goes. So, but at the same time, we're asking, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Make sure you let everybody ask that question. Don't tell me that being a Nazi's wrong, which it is pure evil, but don't tell me that if the mantra is, you don't get to tell me what's right. You don't get to tell me how to feel. Who does that apply to? If it doesn't apply to everybody, everywhere, all the time, it isn't truth. I want to build a society on that. And you can't. Jesus is the truth that unifies knowledge. 
He explains everything, beloved. And I don't mean you get an answer for everything, every single question. I mean in Christ is the truth. And sometimes the truth is that we can't grasp things that we want to grasp, but they're no less the truth. And if we don't know Jesus, if we won't hear Jesus, if we refuse to be shaped and molded by Jesus, and I'm talking now to the church, don't live your truth here. Don't do that. Live His truth here. Right? This is not a free-for-all of opinions. and No, no, no. His truth. His truth. It wreaks havoc in a church when the Word of God is not the standard, no matter how anybody feels. It just wreaks havoc. Jesus is dying for our guilt here. And not just the bad things we do, but the bad people we are. Our attitudes, our selfishness, our desire over against others. Jesus is dying for this also. This is also our guilt. The rottenness of our tone sometimes. The way we treat each other. The way that even in the church, redeemed by Jesus Christ, if it doesn't go our way, we'll take our ball and go home. We'll gripe and complain and whine. Jesus is forgiving that too. If we refuse to be shaped by Jesus, truth is only ever going to be what we want it to be, which means nobody can lay claim to the truth. It's like when this is why you, you want things based in objective reality. This happens in the church. If, if right, if, if I tell it, let's say I, I tell a girl, which I wouldn't because I'm married. Let's say I tell a girl, God told me, which you hear all the time. God told me that we should get married. Did God tell her that? Or have you ever, like, I, God told me that our church should go this direction. Really? He told me the exact opposite. So who do we believe? Right? That's the danger of subjective truth. It's amazing how much God tells other people what you need to be doing. It's The world will be at the mercy of the ones with the most money and the most power. That's the world. Right? It doesn't matter what is true. It matters who has the most money and who has the most power. Luke's gospel tells us that after hearing all the accusations against Jesus, Pilate comes to a verdict. And his verdict is this. I find no fault in this man. He's, he's not done anything you accuse him of. He's not guilty of anything. Matthew said that when Pilate was considering his judgment, his own wife came to him and said, Listen, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. Don't make a call here. I've suffered in my dreams because of this man. Don't do anything. That's Matthew 27, 19. But Pilate will yield to the pressure of the religious leaders of Jerusalem and the crowds. But he's not going to change his verdict in his own mind, in his own mouth that Jesus is innocent. In fact, he washes his hands of it later or tries to. This blood isn't on me. This is your call. He's innocent, but I'll give you what you want. Because I don't want it to come back on me. The reason Pilate couldn't find any fault in Jesus is because there was no fault in Jesus. He is innocent here. There's no fault in him. There's no blemish in him. So if we really, if what we want is the truth, beloved, if that's what we really want, Christian or non-Christian, we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to listen to Jesus.
We're going to trust that He knows, and I don't. I don't understand all the commands in the Bible. I, I, not, a, not even close. And sometimes I don't understand why it's that way, or why it's this way, or why it has to be that way. I, I don't understand it. All I know is that He's right and I'm wrong. That's all I know. That's really all I know. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Right? Jesus just calls everybody out. Do you want the truth? Then you'll listen to me. We only reject Jesus then. What's really happening is that we'd rather believe our own lies than we would believe Jesus. And sometimes the lie is not self-righteous. Sometimes it's self-deprecating. There's no way he would forgive me of what I've done. Tony, you have no idea what I've done. Right, sometimes we'd rather believe that lie, that He won't forgive if our sins are too great, or that we don't need forgiveness if we think our sins are too small. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You all need Me. Right? It's a lie that you haven't done enough bad to need Jesus. And it's a lie that you've done too much bad that you can't have Jesus. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know how crazy it is for me to be standing here trying to pull off a suit and a sermon. Right, beloved, we it's Jesus or nothing. Pilate knows Jesus has done nothing deserving of death. We all know that. We all know that. But he is not of the truth, Pilate. So he needs to be very delicate. He has to strategize and His response has to be proper for the moment. So we come to verse 6, and it says, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? He's goading them here. And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Jesus was finally pinched by a politician. So he... Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate had this strange tradition where during Passover, he would grant full amnesty to one prisoner. The Jewish people wanted him to release. We know Pilate believed Jesus was innocent. He also believed, apparently, that the Jews had brought Jesus to him because they were envious of him. He can perceive this. So he's assuming then that the people would be on Jesus' side. The problem is that he's overlooked the power the Jewish religious leaders had over the people, their ability to manipulate them. Again, when we will not come to Jesus, when we will not rest in Jesus for our salvation and believe in Him, there's a vacuum that remains in our souls for truth, and that void will be filled. We'll fill it with something. And nine times out of ten, we'll fill it with what we believe can save us. Things like our own works and our good behavior. That is what gave the religious leaders that much power over the Jewish people that they would say, crucify him. 
His blood be on us and our children. We don't care. Kill him in the cruelest way possible. Why? Because they thought they needed these religious leaders. They thought they needed their approval and had to do what they said because they were speaking for God. Verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. How did they do that? In, in the, how, how did they do that in the moment? Threats, right? Or did they promise them something? Whatever they did, however they did it, it worked. Why? Because the people weren't of the truth either. Nobody comes out clean here except Jesus. given who they did want release, shows that what probably happened is the religious leaders piggybacked on the the frustrations the crowds had expressed about Jesus for not being the political Savior they wanted. They demand the release of a prisoner named Barabbas instead. And what's so ironic there is that you find out in the Greek New Testament that Barabbas was this man's last name. You know what his first name was? Jesus. Jesus Barabbas. So what is the crowd offered here? Two Jesuses. Jesus Barabbas and Jesus of Nazareth. Also the name Barabbas itself is very ironic. What do we cry out because we're the dearly beloved children of God in our suffering? We call out Abba, Father. Look at the middle of Barabbas' name. Abba is a term that carries endearment. In Jewish names, the word Bar means son of. Jesus would have been called Jesus Bar Joseph in culture. Simon Bar Jonah, Peter is called. Barabbas' name simply means son of a father. The Jews are offered a son of a father and the true son of the father. Who do you think they're going to pick? The Savior or just another guy? Until Jesus opens our eyes, we'll always pick just another guy or gal to save us. Just another idea, just another good deed, just more money, one more drink, whatever it is, right? It seems that Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He'd already taken up arms, so to speak, against Rome. Pilate is offering the people a man who would fight to give them political freedom versus a man who could... Just give them spiritual freedom. Again, who do you think they're going to pick? Who would we pick in 2022 with the way things are right now? The way things are Canada and what that means for us. And Who do you think we'd pick right now to be our Savior? It's not the truth that what we need the most is freedom. That's not the truth. The truth is that what we need the most is salvation. That's the truth. Say, do you not want to be free? Of course I want to be free. Absolutely. But is it the most important thing in the universe? No, it's not. No, it's not. Barabbas, though, he'd put his money where his mouth was. Or so the people, it, it, the people agreed with Barabbas, right? They, they thought he was the truth. Jesus was too afraid to fight back, right? That'd be the only reason he didn't do anything. He was just too afraid to fight back. So he's, he's not a good leader. He's not to be trusted. And 
So where does that go? Crucify him. That's where it goes. Get him out of the way. I don't want to listen to him anymore. Right? I, 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 don't, I don't want to hear him anymore. I'm not interested in his message anymore. Just get him out of here. Kill him. Kill him. Makes me guilty to look at him all the time. I feel guilty when I look at him. When we judge what is right and what is true and what is strength based on who or what gives us what we want, we prove we live by lies. Whenever we would doubt the seductive power that exists in nationalism or patriotism or political freedom or these things, if we doubt that those things could be serious problems, whether they really do have the potential to become idols, we need to go to the discussion between Jesus and Pilate and listen to that crowd and realize, yeah, it's a problem. It could be swayed the wrong way really quickly. How many of us are following Jesus because it feels like the just good and right thing to do and maybe the American thing to do and that's what our parents did and our grandparents did and their grandparents did and so we need to keep the legacy alive, beloved. That is not salvation. It's not. Those who are of the truth listen to the voice of Jesus. They don't listen to other voices. That's exclusive Barabbas might have been a hero to the people. Might have been for fighting back against Rome. Again, that's what, when you read through the Gospels, that's what they had wanted from Jesus so much. That, that's what you see in John 6 when he feeds this crowd and Jesus perceives they're about to take me by force and make me the king. And that's not why I'm here. Right? He had the chance to do that. He had the chance to become the king, the literal socio-political king and change the entire system and he didn't do it. Because salvation, what he was there for, the truth, what he was there to bear witness to, doesn't require that. Jesus set up the gospel so that it could penetrate anywhere, anyone, at any time. Regardless of the system under which we live. This is all passing away. We bear witness to the truth. Pilate's plan backfires. The people demand amnesty, shockingly, for Barabbas. They wanted a different Jesus, one who wouldn't make them feel guilty. They wanted a Jesus of this world. We've been crying out for a different Jesus for almost 2,000 years. We want one more like us that prioritizes us and what we want. Every Listen, everybody hijacks Jesus. Everybody. The progressive Christians nowadays are hijacking Jesus for progressive reasons. The nationalist Christians are hijacking Jesus for nationalist Christians. Tony, are you so great and above the fray? No. I mean, I... I don't get involved in systems, but there's a lot of stuff I'd like Jesus to do for me that's probably not in the cards. And it's frustrating when he doesn't do them. But those things aren't the truth. Pilate tried to reason with them, asking why. Why is it that you want the cruelest punishment possible? Like he's that much of a criminal? We weren't even going to do that as far as we know to Barabbas. And he was an insurrectionist. In verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd, he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. To be scourged, by the way, as most of you seriously probably know, was to be beaten with this multi-lashed whip that had pieces of bones and metal embedded in it. I mean, it just, it would have laid you open to the bone, literally. And if, by the way, again, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, 
you, you've at least gotten a glimpse of what this would be like. It's extremely difficult to watch. Jesus is a king. That's been clear all throughout Mark. He is the king. And yet in this moment, there's no evidence of his kingdom that we can see, is there? This is the last and the greatest suffering of the Son of Man in this world. Jesus Christ was condemned as the pretended king of the Jews. What an insult to the Jewish people. Pilate pulls off on them. That's why he'll have that sign stating that this is the king of the Jews hung from the top of the cross on which Jesus died. Why? Because it's Rome who decides who the king is. And this is what Rome thinks of this alleged king of the Jews, right? So Pilate didn't feel too badly about it. Jesus was technically put to death, remember this, by a legal decision of the properly constituted governing bodies of his day. The Sanhedrin, the Roman governor. We know from Acts 4, 23 to 28, the prayers of the early church, the first church that Psalm 2 has been fulfilled in this or is being fulfilled in this. The people of God, the Jews, joined forces with the nations of the world and the Gentiles in an act of concentrated, insidious rebellion against the Lord and against His anointed, the Messiah Jesus. The whole world, both Jew and Gentile, officially rejects the Messiah and hands Him over to the wrath of God. So when the promised seed of the woman did appear to crush the serpent's head, we joined with the devil, all humanity, to try to crush Him on our own first. This is humanity's supreme sin. It establishes our corporate guilt, beloved. It, sometimes Christianity is maligned because it says it, it just wants to make people feel guilty. No, no, no. You already feel guilty. Right? You have to suppress your guilt, just like I do. It's inherent. We know it. The religious leadership in Israel lied and deceived to punish Jesus out of hatred and malice. Pilate failed in his role as a leader by doing what was politically expedient for him and for his kingdom. Again, his authority was derivative. It was not like the authority of Jesus. Therefore, it was always precarious, unstable, for sale to the highest bidder. Right? This was a travesty of justice. It was the most wicked act in all of human history. Why? Well, because Jesus is the Son of God. This is the Son of God here. This is the second person of the Trinity. He has no beginning. He will have no end. That's who we're doing this to. And what will God do? Right, what is God going to do? Well, He's going to pour out His judgment on Jesus. That's what God is going to do here. Not only will the guiltless be punished by the guilty, the guiltless will be punished by God for the sins of the guilty. Jesus stands at the center of human history this morning, beloved, always has, to receive the punishment of our wrath against God and of God's wrath against us. This is what Christianity has to offer the world. 
Amnesty. Beloved, forgiveness. That's what this is all about. Forgiveness. The idea that this is all about forgiveness precludes guilt. Life, peace with God, hope for our eternal souls. That's what this is all about. The story of the crucified king is the story of forgiveness. That God gave himself, gave his son, God himself gave his son to be delivered up and crucified for sinners. And to make this yours, to make this apply to you, is simply a matter of saying, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because what he did as the truth is so perfect, so sufficient, so holy, and so worthy that in his grace God declared that that's all that will be required for the guilty to be made guiltless in his eyes. You know how you become guiltless? You get inside of Jesus. That's what salvation is. It's a covering. It's a seal that now we belong to him. We were alive here. We died. We were born again here in Christ, in the guiltless. That's how I'm guiltless. I don't work my way into less and less guilt over time by being a good person. There aren't scales like that. The minute I am born again, I am in Christ. I am as saved as Billy Graham or Paul or anyone else. The moment I believe, that's how sufficient Jesus is. I am so guilty that the only thing that can make me guiltless is the death of God's own son. That's true for everybody in here and everybody out there. And the message for Christian and non-Christian is the same. Do you want to be rid of your guilt? Then rest in Christ. In my place condemned he stood, the guiltless for the guilty. And there he bled and died alone for God to now acquit me. All my sin was cast on him who bore my deserved penalty. That God Almighty would call me righteous and in his sovereign grace accept me. Will you come to Jesus? You can come forward if you want. You don't have to. But if you do, tell me. Tell somebody. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. There is forgiveness in Jesus. That's true for the unbelievers here, and it's true for the believers here. Come to Jesus. The guiltless for you and I, the guilty.